And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible today to Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter number three. And so if you'll find your copy of God's Word today, that's where we're at. Romans chapter number three. Well, I didn't anticipate it, didn't expect it, and was shocked a little bit by it, but uh, I was coughing and hacking some here Sunday, thought I had a cold, and my son-in-law who had visited our house had had COVID, and guess what? I had COVID the second time on Monday, and uh, I am released uh, according to CDC, but uh, thank you for those who knew about that and prayed for me. And so Brother Jay was going to preach today because of that. And uh, he called me last night and he's sick, not with COVID, but something else. And uh, so today I'm, I'm, I'm ready to preach and ready to look into God's word together. Are you ready? Amen. And today, as we uh, look in the scripture together, I want you to look with me to Romans 3. We're going to begin with verse number 9. Now, today, I just want to warn you. This message is not easy to listen to. It won't be easy to hear. It won't be fun. It won't be filled with lots of good feelings and warm fuzzies today. You all right with that? I don't care. It's the truth, right? And only the truth sets us free. And if we, if we just preach to tickle ears, we're headed down the wrong pathway. And you know, there's only good news because there's bad news. And I figured this out a long time ago. If you don't get them lost, they'll never get saved. And my first pastorate, I had the privilege, or whatever you might describe it, of pastoring two former pastors of the same church where I was at. And they were both elderly. I don't know how old they are because I don't want to remember exactly. And they, uh, one of them was named uh, uh, Dr. Daly. And Dr. Daly was an old, old man. He had graduated from Southwestern Seminary years before and had pastored the church at some time in the past. And, and uh, he said to me one time, we were in the middle of, of, of a revival, seeing many people come to Christ. And I was just a kid preacher, really. I mean, I was 21 years old and preaching and pastoring that church. And many were coming to Christ and being baptized. And he said, preacher, just one word. I said, what? What's that? He said, if you pick them green, sure is the world to pucker on you. Whatever that means, I thought I ought to be careful in what I was doing. Today, I want us to look to Romans chapter 3, and Paul is making an argument that is very important, and I want you to listen closely. It won't be the easiest message to listen to, but we must be faithful to every line in God's word. Amen. So in the third chapter, look with me where Paul writes, verse 9, what then are we better, any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it's written, 
There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this text that we're coming to today in our series in Romans. I thank you that these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul and written by his pen to the church at Rome, kept and guarded by the Holy Spirit for our instruction. And I pray, Father, today that we would be listening to your Holy Spirit speaking to us through your holy word. I pray that today we would not be distracted. And Father, I pray that we might listen carefully. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do business in our lives. Convict us of our sin. Confront us with our own self-righteousness. Father, bring us to sorrow and brokenness about our sinful condition. And God in heaven, lead us by your grace to repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we think about it together. The problem is, as we approach this, the problem with man. And I, Today I just titled this sermon, The Lost Condition of All People, All Mankind. And as Paul is thinking this, and he's reminding us that the problem is not that man thinks too low of himself, but man thinks too high of himself. People assume that they're relatively good, relatively. They measure themselves by themselves or by others. But the problem is they're using the wrong standard for measuring goodness. Goodness is not measured me against you, but goodness is standard of me against Jesus Christ, the perfect man of God. The second problem that we have is we excuse our sin. Our sin is not terrible in our eyes. 
and it does not condemn us. We look at our sin and we value our own sin lightly. They're just picadillos, tiny little sins. So we make excuses for our sin, don't we? Well, they're just sick. You know, it's just a disease. Well, they just can't help themselves. Well, think about the environment they grew up. No wonder they can't help it. Well, it's economics. It's genetics. And so we make all kinds of excuses for our sin. Vance Habner said, a person who's good at excuses is usually not good at anything else. And so as long as we're a victim, we're off the hook. And if you're off the hook, then you never have to change. And never in my life have I seen an age like this where everybody's a victim and nobody's responsible. Third, we disrespect God and devalue his holiness. If God is loving then he'd let me get by with this. That's our attitude. So we disrespect God's holiness. We devalue it. We think that I'm privileged somehow. Maybe privileged because of the color of my skin. Maybe privileged because I speak English. Maybe privileged because I'm an American. Maybe privileged because I'm a conservative. Maybe privileged because I'm patriotic. Maybe, maybe privileged because I grew up in a Christian home. But our God is a holy God, and he takes sin seriously, and you are not off the hook. He is holy, he is right, he is just, and he's pure. And God is holy, and God is loving, and these two do not conflict. His holiness and his love demand justice, and without justice, God is not loving, nor is he holy. So today, the first thing I want us to talk about, think about, and please stay with me, is the universality of sin. And this is Paul's argument. He says in chapter 3, verse 9, are we better off then? Remember his argument. He's saying that the Jews had certain advantages. Yes, they had the word of God. They had the law. They had the covenants. They had the revealed will of God. But that, didn't, that did not excuse them. They were not better off. He says in verse 9, are we any better off as Jews? No, absolutely not, because we've already charged my whole argument with you in chapter number one and chapter number two of Romans is that we are all sinful and Gentiles and pagans and idol worshipers are sinful, but so are those who are hypocritical and so are the judgmental and so are the Hebrews. Because we've all broken the law of God, and we're all lawbreakers, and we're all sinners. And even people that live in pagan worlds far outside of Judaism that never heard the law of God, they have that written on their conscience, and all of creation is screaming about who God is. But they have turned from God and turned toward idols. We are all sinful, and we're all lost. And we have no hope. We are not better off. We're not better off racially because we all have a sinful condition. Jews, Gentiles, 
Asians, Europeans, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, we're all lost. The heathen are lost, the hypocrites lost, the Hebrews lost. We're all lost. And we're not better off religiously. Amen. Notice the repetition of these, these words that are in our text. Please, let's look at the text. You need your Bible. By the way, I don't have notes or an outline today, so you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. Follow along with me. There is no one righteous. Notice how many times he uses the word none, no one, not even one. Notice what he says. He says, verse number 10, he says, all are under sin. Then verse, verse 9, verse 10, there's no one righteous, no, not even one. Verse 11, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Verse number 12, there's no one who does what is good, not even one. Verse number 20, no one will be justified in his sights by the works of the law. He says, we are all under sin. We are all devastated by sin. In verse number nine, notice what it says, for we have already charged Jews and Greeks, all of mankind are under sin. The word under sin, sin means we're under the operative control of sin in this world. It's sin in us, but sin around us. And it is affecting all of our lives. We're under the reign of sin. We're under the rule of sin. We're enslaved by sin. We're held captive by the force of sin and evil. And it's operative in our culture. Can anybody here say this whole culture is going headlong the wrong way into sin? Yes. And there's no one ethically or morally right. There's no one, not one, none is righteous, not even one. In Luke chapter 18 and Mark 10, there's a story where Jesus is approached by a lawyer, and he says, good teacher, and he gets ready to ask him a question. And Jesus stops him for a moment, and he says, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and that's God. What he was trying to say is, if you're calling me good, are you calling me God? Because there's only one good, and that's God. Hmm. We all think that we're right in our own eyes. In the days of the judges, the men were black with apostasy. They had this foul and glaring immorality. And we read in Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all and desperately sick. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. Jesus himself said, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a man. You know what defiles a man or woman? It's not the food you eat. It's not the drink you drink. 
It's not the ceremony that you either do or don't do. It's not some legalistic rule. That's not what defiles you. What defiles you is what's in your heart that comes out of your life. Amen. And there's no innocent people. Sometimes people want to say, yeah, but what about that innocent person that lives? There are no innocent people anywhere. That is a false idea. We're born in sin. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have rebelled against God. All were born in iniquity. All are guilty. Some of you, I can hear you resisting because this doesn't sound like the culture today. It didn't fit with the philosophy today. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm not such a bad person. There are many people worse than I am. I mean, I pay my bills. I work hard. I pay taxes. I served in the armed forces. I'm loyal to my friends. I'm not a deadbeat. I'm not a druggie. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a whoremonger. Problem is, you're measuring yourself against other people. Well, next to you, I might look pretty good. But next to Jesus, I look broke, Amen. busted. And sinful. When I compare myself to Jesus Christ, I see perfect love. When I look to Jesus Christ, I see perfect life. When I see Jesus Christ, I see perfect obedience. When I see Jesus Christ, I see perfect faith. When I see Jesus Christ, I see perfect truth. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. When I speak, I speak the Father's words, I do the Father's will. You are a sinner. And when you look at the law, you know that you are a lawbreaker. The Jews had the law, but they broke the law. In chapter number 2, listen to verse number 21. You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself. You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal, in fact? You who say, you must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? We are all sinners. Secondly, not only the universality of sin, the second point that Paul is making here is the persuasive nature of human sin, the pervasive, not persuasive, pervasive nature of human sin. It's insipid. It spreads and it corrupts completely. So we're going to look at this in three areas. It corrupts our character, verses 10 to 12. It corrupts our speech, verse 13 and 14. And it corrupts our conduct in verse 15 to 18. Let's look at it. As we look at this passage of Scripture, notice how he uses the organs of the body to talk about the pervasive nature, the thoroughness of our sin. Do you have your Bible still? Look with me. And it says, verse 13, their throat, what is their throat? It is an open what? Grave. Notice, they deceive with their what? Tongues. So 
Here's two body parts, all right? The throat and the tongue. Notice what else? Vipers, venom is under their what? Lips. Got the throat, the tongues, and the lips, all right? Not only that, their mouth is filled with cursing and bitterness. Now, now we got the mouth, right? And not only that, verse 15, their feet, what? Shed blood, yes. You know what he's saying is, from head to toe, they're sinful. All of it, in every part. John Murray said, the verdict of Scripture is one of universal and total depravity. You're not a little bit bad, you're all bad. And you're lost. <coughs> First of all, is there a character? <clears throat> Pardon me for the cough. Verse number 10. There is no, no one righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. Verse 11. You see, there's really no righteousness in us, none at all. You're unrighteous in your sin. You're a lawbreaker. And there's nobody that really understands and has a right apprehension of God. And we can't do it because of our sinful nature. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14. Listen to God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. The person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually, spiritually appraised. There's no one that understands. You cannot, it doesn't make sense to you. You discard the truth because you, you don't believe it. It seems foolish to you. In chapter number 1, verse number 21 of Corinthians, it says, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness what is preached. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Listen, we, we, do, not, we do not understand how God is at work because we're blinded by our sin, and we're made fools because of it. Not only that, he says no one seeks him. That means there's no desire to truly worship God. You might say to me, yeah, but Brother Tim, aren't there pagan temples all over the world? Yes, but they are blinded by the God of this world. The Bible tells us that they are worshiping demons. They are not worshiping God. No one seeks God. Jesus himself said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. In Luke 15, we're giving the picture of what we're like without God. And this is it. We are like a lost coin. And what does that woman, can the coin find the woman? No, the woman must seek for the coin. What does she do? She empties the house. She sweeps it and sweeps it until she finds that valuable coin. And the thing of value that she finds, she says to every one of her neighbors, rejoice with me for that which was lost has now been found. That is the heart of our God. He came to those that weren't seeking him, and he sought us, and he found us, and he redeemed us. It's good news. It's the same with the sheep that wanders off from the fold and gets lost. 
That good shepherd leaves the sheep in care and goes and searches and searches until he finds it. And when he finds it, it puts him on his shoulders and carries him back. And he says to all of his friends, rejoice with me, for the one that was lost has now been found. Jesus said there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than repents. All of heaven breaks through with praise when someone turns to God. But it's the work of God in us, the God drawing us, God wooing us, God finding us, God saving us, because we can't find God on our own because of our blindness and our lostness. All have turned away, he says. That's the next passage he, he has here. He says, all have turned away. All have become worthless. They seek other gods. When it says they turned away, that means they've turned away from God and they sought other gods. Please stay with me. This is our sinful condition. Our sinful condition is we have supplanted God for other gods. We seek to be satisfied in something other than our relationship with God himself. We seek to find our healing in other sources rather than God himself. We seek to find life in something, some experience, some toy. And we've abandoned the creator. And our God is our belly. These are the idols of the heart, money, the idol of relaxation, the idol of retirement. I'm just going to quit and retire and live for me only. The idol of toys, position, sexual experiences. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. And everyone is turned to his own way. I told you it wasn't a happy, feel-good sermon. He says, all have become worthless. The word worthless there means spoiled, useless, no good person, purpose. Actually, it is used in some of the ancient Greeks used the word worthless here for soured milk. Ugh. Good for nothing. David said, my life amounts to nothing. He said, I've gathered all these riches, but who will get them in the end? Life is meaningless. It's like a vapor. Psalm 39. What do I wait for? And then in that moment of silence, he said, my hope is in God. This is the one of the richest men on the planet. He said, it's all empty without God. No one does what's good, he says. Can I tell you that you don't do goodness? You don't. Well, she sure was a good person. He was a really good person. All of your righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Filthy rags mean polluted garments, soiled, blood-stained rags. 
not only is it pervasive in our, in our character, he goes on that it's our speech. In verse 13, their throat is an open grave, a sepulcher. What, is, uh, what does it mean their throat is an open grave? It means inwardly their mouth, their voice is filled with corruption. Out of their mouth comes death, not life. Did you know that your mouth and your words reveal what's going on in your heart? Amen. It does. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. One old preacher said, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. That's true. It's what's in you will come out of your mouth. Hmm. In Matthew 12, 37, it says, by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. The New Living Translation said, the words you say either acquit or condemn you. You want to know what's in a man or woman's heart? Listen to their words. Listen long enough and you'll find out. You got to cut through the false humor, the bloviating, the stories, and listen. Just listen and you'll hear their heart. And in their heart, you'll hear the rebellion. You'll hear the negativity. You'll hear the pessimism. You'll hear the victimhood. You'll hear the lust. You'll hear the greed. You'll hear it. Because they can't help it. Because what's in their heart will come out of their mouth. That not only that, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongue. Has anybody ever noticed that not what everybody tells you is exactly right? Amen. Has anybody ever tried to deceive you with their tongue? Lie to you. Tell you things that are false. I bought a car from a guy one time. He said, the greatest car in all the world. Man, I tell you, this is just a perfect car for you. It'd be just perfect for you, preacher. It'd be a great, for a young preacher, it'd be a great car for you. And I bought that car without test driving it. Dumb, dumb, dumb. That car did two things no preacher's car ought to do. It smoked and drank both. It was not a good car. He wasn't true. And they beguile you. They deceive you with their tongue, either through flattery or falseness. But they're not true. You know, a gossiper is somebody, somebody said, who says to others things they won't say to your face. But a flatterer is one who says things to your face that he won't say in your absence to others. It says poison is in their lips, under their lips. What a picture that is. It's the poison of asp, the poison of a snake. Now, in a snake's mouth, I don't know about his lips, but it says under the snake's lips. Now, when the snake, a venomous snake, has those fangs, and they're underneath the folds of skin in the top of their mouth, and when that snake 
strikes and puts his head back to strike and opens his mouth, then those two fangs penetrate into your skin and like hypodermic needles inject poison into their victim. They want to hurt you. They want to destroy you. And they use deadly words to harm you. This is a series of Old Testament verses. What Paul is doing is he's saying to the Jew, so you think you're good and better off, let me take your own Bible and show you what you're like. And it says their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. It's their speech. It's filled with cursing and bitterness. Should it be that way? Should from our mouth come both blessing and praise to God and cursing and bitterness and hatefulness to other people? Well, of course not. James says that. Listen to what James has to say in chapter number 3. James chapter number 3. He says in verse number 6, the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire. It's set on fire by hell itself. In verse 8, chapter 3, he says, No one can tame the tongue. It's restless evil, full of deadly poison. There it is again. Verse 9, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. And he asks a question. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water bring yield fresh water. He says we speak out of our nature. We speak out of our nature. And this is, this is our speech. The other way that sin is pervasive in us, insipid, is that it affects our conduct, how we relate to each other, how we behave in relationships. He says their feet are swift to shed blood. That's murder. You see, the very first sin in the garden was disobedience to God. What they did in the garden is is they put another God before God. You have no other God before me. Desiring to be like God, they ate that fruit. Believing that God was holding out on them, they ate that fruit. And the result was the fall of all mankind. And that meant they were banished from the garden, away from the fruit of eternal life. That was God's justice. Because God didn't want eternal beings living sinfully. And the wages of sin is death. The day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And it brought death. Now listen to me. 
The next generation is Cain and Abel. And what's the next sin? Murder. We go from putting other gods before us to murder. Because murder's in our heart. When you displace God on the throne of your life, murder starts to build in your heart. The second table of the Decalogue, the first table has to do with our relationship with God. No other gods before me. You should not take his name in vain. You should not worship any other idols, right? You are to to not profane his day, but keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. But the second half of the tablet begins with murder. Thou shalt not murder. Why? Because it's in the heart of man. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, as he begins his exposition on the law, what is the first thing he deals with? You've heard it said of the ancients of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, and whoever murders is guilty before the court. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother is guilty before the court. And whoever says concerning the brother, Reka, you empty head, is guilty to the Supreme Court. And whoever says to your brother, you fool, is guilty of hell's fire. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering before the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you and you against your brother, leave your offering first. Go be reconciled with him. Then come back and present your offering. Jesus said the issue is broken relationships and murder that's in our heart. You say, well, Brother Tim, I'm not a murderer. Are you ever angry? You ever angry at your brother? You ever angry with others? I'm telling you, murder's in your heart. Ruin and wretchedness is in the wake. Destroy lives, homes, marriages, society. The pathway is filled with violence. It's like a destructive tornado left in the wake of a sinful life. Envy, strife, hate, drama, backbiting, unforgiveness. Destroying one another, tearing one another, hurting one another, generationally doing so. And there's no path of peace. No peace in their pathway. And so as he looks at this whole very passage of Scripture, it's this sin, it's, it's, it's terrible sin. And, and then he go, get, talks about the cause of all of it. In verse number 18, this is the cause. You say, Brother Tim, what is the cause of this all? Look with me to what he says in verse number 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is the issue. When you don't reverence God, when you don't regard his will, when you're not surrendered to the lordship of the Lord God Almighty and reverence him and fear him and love him and obey him and think about his holiness, his goodness, his rightness, and that you are his creation and he is the creator and he's the ruler of your life and you love him with all of your heart. That's one thing. But when you move away from that, it brings this, this corruption that pervades all of our being and destroys a society 
and destroys your life, destroys your family, and it's deadly. You say, Brother Tim, do you have any good news today? Not yet. Chapter 3, verse 19. But what can I do to fix it? The first thing I want to say to you concerning your ability to fix this condition is you are absolutely helpless to fix it. Chapter 3, verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut. There it is in Scripture. Shut your mouth. And God's the one shutting it. Stop it. Stop making excuses. Start pl- stop playing the victim. Stop pretending that God is made in your image. And the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. You are convicted as a lawbreaker. Your mouth is stopped like a hand over his mouth saying, unclean, unclean. Like a COVID person wearing a mask. I got the COVID. Stay away. Well, you've got sin. And it's stopping your mouth. Because you have no excuse before holy God. You're guilty. And it's me. It's me. That's me. I'm guilty. And I'm condemned. And I'm helpless. And I can't fix the problem. You're not only helpless, you're hopeless. There's not one thing you can do to fix this problem. In verse number 20, no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. You cannot fix yourself. And here's the bottom line for today. We're all under the law. Jew and Gentile, those who have never heard it and those who had it. Because even the Gentiles who live in pagan, far-off places, they have the law in themselves. They have the law in creation. And they are without excuse, too. We're all under the law. All our mouths are stopped. We're all reduced to silence. We have no more excuses. We have no more tattling on others, no more victimhood. We're all guilty. We're all under judgment. We all deserve death and hell. And we are all answerable to a holy God. I want you to picture this scene. It's you and you alone. Nobody to blame. No excuse. It's you and you alone. And you're standing before the judgment seat of God. And an angel says, all rise. And the king of glory walks in. And all of your sin is exposed. Every thought, every motive, every desire, every attitude, 
every word, every lust, every rebellion, every envy, every gossip, every lie, every jealousy, every act of rebellion. And it's all seen by God and it's revealed as God sees it. Not as you spin it, as God sees it. As it truly is. And you're waiting at the judgment. And the judge is standing there to declare the sentence. And you know you deserve to go to hell. And you have nothing to bring. And you have no works that are good. And all of your works are just filthy rags. And you cry out, I need a savior. I need a savior. I'm broken and undone. Woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Is there a bomb in Gilead? And there's one. Only one. And he's the righteous one. And he's the son of God. And his name is Jesus. And only he can save you from your sins. In chapter number 3, verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there's no distinction. Our hope, my hope, your hope, the hope of the world is only in one, and that's Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the good one that's mighty to save. That's the good news. But we had to look at the bad news so we can see the good news. Amen? Now today, today, you may have been tweaked some. You may have resisted some. You may have drifted off and dreamed about other things for a while, son. But some of you today are convicted about your sin. And I want to tell you something. You want the revival in your heart? You will not be revived until you come back to God in repentance and confession and surrender to his lordship. Today, healing is found in him. And no one else. Forgiveness in him. No one else. Life in him. No one else. He himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. King Jesus is the only one who can save. There's no other name given among men whereby 
we must be saved. It's only at the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's mighty to save. Father, these have been hard and difficult, but true words, words of life. And I pray that we want to understand that we are dead without Jesus, but life is found in him. May we turn from our sin and in repentance embrace Jesus alone as Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.